yes, here we go. But anyway, since I was talking before I was praying, let's pray first anyway. And, and um, Michelle said this morning we should pray like we're five and eight years old. So I'm going to pray like that because Jesus said that's the pure heart to come to him with. So I'm going to pray like, like a five-year-old could understand. And Dear Jesus, you love me, and I love you back, and you started it all. And I thank you for the ways you're telling me in my circumstances and in the word that I'm precious to you. And I thank you for giving me the ideas of the people who saw you to help me shape my own behavior. Please, Jesus, bless me as I learn about you. Help me to become a better child of God and a better lover of my neighbors. In your name I pray, amen. So Peter, the eyewitness, has seen a lot of things in his life, and by the time we meet him in 1 Peter, Jesus has already ascended, and now he's in charge of rallying people around the idea that that Jesus thing was for real, and it changes everything. So I want to um, throw this idea out to you. Um, being an eyewitness is a pretty big deal. Has anybody ever had to testify in a courtroom? Neither have I. But I've seen it on TV. Um, <laughs> Um, have you ever told anybody about a great restaurant you've been to? Raise your hand. Okay. How about the movie you last saw that you can't miss? Mm -hmm. How about an experience that you had, like I went to this great party and all the this and that, the food? Okay. The wedding I saw last week? Okay. Okay. You're witnessing. You are telling something that your eyes saw that you are willing and, and almost unable not to tell someone else. You want them to have this good information. That's what it means to be a witness like Peter. Because Peter was an eyewitness to a lot of those things, including weddings and parties and all sorts of things. And what he wants to tell people is the source of his joy about what he has seen. So you all have a colored piece of paper on your chair. Some of them, uh, they're you know, yellow, pink, blue, green, and one is another yellow. So if you can't tell the difference between yellow and tan, Put on your reading glasses and look again. The only reason I'm saying that is because I want you to remember what color you had. Okay? Now I want you to write your name in legible handwriting somewhere on one side. You can do it, as I used to say when I was an art teacher, hamburger style or hot dog style. I don't care which. And now put your pens down. What I want you to do now is just think about an experience that you would want to tell someone else about. Perhaps something that happened this summer. Perhaps your childbirth story. Perhaps something, um, an accident that you witnessed. These are going to be shared, so I want you to just moderate the personal details as, as you would need to. But sit for a minute and think, if I, if I could say, tell somebody about something, this summer, my son's graduation, you know, my trip to Rome, whatever. About five or six points I would want to communicate. So I'm going to get, let you be quiet for just a few minutes and think about the story you're going to communicate and five or six key points that you would need to say in order to communicate it. Just no writing, just thinking. Now we're going to put it to action. So turn to somebody that doesn't know your story already and pair up any way that makes sense to you, and tell each other your story, no writing, put your pens down, but as you tell the story, exchange your name, 
Okay? So find a pair, and if there's three, that's okay, or if somebody needs a pair, I'll be the pair. All right, if your color of origin, the one that has your name on it, is blue, not the one you have in your hand, but the one you started with, it has your name on it, is blue, was blue, stand up, please. All right, somebody has this person's bio, send it over to them. Okay, if you have a blue sheet in your hand, it's gonna to belong to one of these ladies standing up. If you started with a blue sheet, find the person whose name matches the sheet. If you have a blue sheet in your hand, matches the person whose it is and give it back to her. So she should find her name on a blue paper. If you have a blue one in your hand, it belongs to somebody here. <laughs> okay, you didn't swap at all? Okay. All right. Did you blue people get your name back? Ish? Is there anybody without her name back? Uh, the reason would be that somebody, you know, made up their own instructions. All right, if you started with a yellow, not a tan, a yellow paper, stand up. You started with a yellow paper. You started with yellow paper. Now pass find the owner. Other people who have yellow paper, find the owner whose paper you have. Eyewitness account. Do you get that? 
Who do you think, who do you think, other than the person who told the story, has the story closest to correct? The first person. Now look, read over your paper. This is going to be the third person, or second person, that reads your, that wrote your story. Is it correct? Does it have things missing? Is it close to accurate? Okay, in, in one transmission, it probably would be pretty accurate, especially if I let you do what? Write it down. In two transmissions, it should be a little less accurate or perhaps miss a little bit of luster, but it would be better if I was able to let you write it down. Thanks be to God he wrote it down. He wrote it down. Our eyewitness testimony is written down. And it do doesn't depend on our oral transmission or our distractedness or the fact that we didn't listen to directions. It depends on the, the will of God for his people. And praise God we have it. So we're going to discuss who Peter was as an eyewitness so that when you read his letter, you get to know him. I like to read. I like to read a lot. I often read the flap on a book so I know about the author. Raise your hand. Do you ever do that? Okay. I even read the credits in the back because I want to know where that author came from, getting information and so forth. So we're going to read the credits. We're going to read the author. And I, I don't have any accurate Polaroids of Peter, but... Um, we're going to go with the VBS version here, you know. I almost brought a flannel board, honestly. <laughs> so, okay. So the name, of our, the name of our study is A Living Hope in Christ, and I think there's a pretty good picture of a living hope right there. That's a, an empty tomb. And so in the end, that's the story Peter's telling. In fact, everything he says in this book, he's going to talk about submission, which we love, and other behavioral things, how we should dress, but it's all in light of that. It's all in light of the fact that he witnessed a guy through life, exemplary things, saw him die, saw him alive. Therefore, this is the beginning and the end of the story. So Peter's tone, his way, his approach is all about that. And if you have a chance to glance over in 2 Peter, you'll see so often he says, my beloved friends, my dear friends, my friends. He is sending a loving message to those who are getting the second transmission of information. So he wants to make sure it's correct. So we're going to look at what, he, what the Peter, Peter the author is like. Now, I love Peter because he's very um, excitable and motivational. He's like the eager Peter. To me, he reminds me of that guy in the classroom or that person I am often in a classroom that's like, pick me, pick me, pick me, right? There he is. That's what Peter looks like to me. You know that person. They're so annoying, right? But they are so excited, and they want the teacher to know they know. They want the teacher to know they know, which is exactly what Peter does all the time. He wants his teacher to know he knows. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he doesn't. Here, this is case in point when he didn't really get it. Doesn't that look the same? Walk on water. Yes. No, wait. Oh, oh. Pick me. Get me. Save me. This is Peter. This is our guy. So we're going to go through um, uh, the Gospels, really, and see what he did. And these things you, you will have known. I certainly have known them, but for me it was such a rich way to study. So I want to tell you about BibleGateway.com, which is on, on your sheet. 
And one thing I did as I started my research was I looked up, BibleGateway.com is a great free website. It has a search bar, and you can put anything in there that you want, and it'll tell you where it is in the Bible, or you can press the drop-down list, and it'll tell you which translation, which is something I'm going to be wanting you to do. If you don't have two Bibles that are in two different translations, Bible Gateway is your access to that. And the, our author, you'll see this week, will encourage you to read in more than one um, version. So um, here's what I did in Bible Gateway. I put in the name Peter, and then Simon Peter, because we know from VBS, that's the same guy. And I got 207 hits, which means 207 times Peter's name appears in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts, which is a lot. He's important to Jesus. He's important to God by name. Compare him to um, the next closest disciple to Jesus, the one that said, I am the one Jesus loves, the beloved. Tell, shout out his name if you know it. John. 80 times. So two and a half times as many references by name to Peter than the beloved John. And then compared to John's brother, who was the um, Andrew, the son of Zebedee, I think it was John, am I getting that right? James. Uh, James, sorry, yeah, son of Zebedee, Zebedee. Those two were called sons of thunder 20 times. And this is the core group for, for Jesus. Peter, John, James. This is the tightest circle. They were um, occasionally the only people let in on some of the greater miracles. But Peter is listed by name ten times more than James, two and a half times more than John, and two and a half, 207 times at least in the scriptures. Now, if you look up the word Simon, there's a lot of Simons in scripture. So those Simons are not all Simon Peter. There's a lot of Simons, but there's only one Peter. So that makes it easier. Okay, so here's what we know. He's the first and primary disciple. By first, I mean, he's so excited he's always first in line. And Jesus called him first. He called him out first. But by primary, I mean, many times in scripture, he's at the front of the list. He's never, if there's a list, not in the front of the list. He's Peter and the other disciples, Peter, John, James, Peter and the Twelve. Peter's name is always at the front of the list. I found that interesting. And he was a fisherman. You know that. Many of the disciples were fishermen, especially John and James, the sons of Zebedee, who were the next called, and Peter. And these are some of the ways Jesus interacted with him as a fisherman. He gave Jesus, um, Peter gave Jesus his boat from which to preach in an early part. All these scriptures are referenced in your book, in your paper, rather. So the boat goes out to sea. You get the acoustics from the lake. He preached in Peter's boat. Twice, Peter watched... Jesus create a miraculous catch of fish, one at the beginning of Peter's call and one at the end of Peter's call. He bookmarked Peter's time as a fisherman. And he was told he would be fisher, a fisher of men, as, as the other disciples were. This was a significant way that Jesus communicated with Peter, as we say in our church, where he is, where you are. He met him as a fisherman, and he utilized all that analogy, metaphor, and experience to make him a fisher of men. He walked on water until he didn't. 
He's the only one that did that. You know that. It's a storm, and he sees a guy walking across, and they're all frightened it's a ghost. And Peter says, oh, it's Jesus. Just tell me, and I'll come to you. And he does, and then he sinks. We know we've heard a lot of sermons about that probably, but at least he's the guy that got out of the boat. He got out of the boat. And when he got out of the boat, who was there to catch him? Jesus. He knew it one way or the other. Even if his faith was iffy, he knew Jesus was on the other end of it, which is why the church answer to every question is, say it. Jesus. Oh, you guys are so smart. He witnessed the transfiguration. Let me see if I've skipped some. I know some of you, I made, I bet, made blanks on this page because um, Michelle told me you'd all like blanks. Blanks kind of drive me crazy, but it will drive you crazy if I don't fill them in. I know this is true. So he hauled in a miraculous catch. He was told by Jesus that he was the fisher of men. He walked on water. And one of the things that he does, he declares Jesus as the Messiah. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more. And he renamed Simon to Peter, Petra, or Cephas, means rock or stone, which is another illusion Peter refers to many times in this letter to us. He witnessed the transfiguration with John and James. His top three were right there. The transfiguration, to jog your memory, was a time when Jesus said, come up to the mountain with me, and then all of a sudden appears Jesus and Elijah and... um, Jesus and Elijah and oh, who? Moses. Moses. Oh, my gosh. I only studied this for 10 hours. Moses, and they all seem uh, surreal because Jesus has this transfigured look about him, and, of course, the other two are long gone. And Peter is so excited. He said, hey, let me, let me build you three places for all three of you because you're all like the same. You're all amazing. And Peter says, we're not all the same. I mean, Jesus says, God says, we're not all the same. He says, behold, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. So in the presence of those three disciples, we see Jesus being set primary over all the prophets and all the leaders that came before him. This is important stuff. If you went to an inauguration and saw a president be elected, you would probably be in awe of that moment, no matter what your political affinities were. Am I right about that? If you saw someone being crowned Miss universe or America, which I think just happened the day before yesterday, there would be a certain amount of awe. Out of all the contenders, this is the one. And this is what Peter and John and James are seeing. This is the one. He asked Jesus direct questions a lot, more than anybody. And these are a few that followed a certain pattern. He always called him Lord. Lord, if you wish, I'll put up three shelters. Lord, how many times must I forgive? Lord, to whom... Are you going to wash my feet? No, not just my feet, my head and my, and my hands as well. Lord, where are you going? Lord, why can't I follow you now? Lord, what about John's death? That's one that may not be so familiar because it's hard to teach that at BBS. <laughs> but um, as Jesus is leaving, he, he said something indicating how um, Peter might die. Someone else will have to put on his clothes. Someone else will take him where he doesn't want to go. And Peter says, hey, what about him? And he said, that's not for you to know. And we do know that John lived much longer. He wrote the book of Revelation. And that Peter's death was as Jesus uh, told about it. And I'll tell you that a little bit more later. He also makes those great declarations. Um, On that first haul of the miraculous uh, fish catch, Peter is just falls to his face and says, oh, 
get behind me, I'm a sinful man, or Lord, I'm a sinful man. He, he sees himself in direct comparison to this miracle and this miracle worker and recognizes that on his knees is where he belongs. He makes a great declaration that way. He says Jesus is Messiah when he's asked, oh, well, who do you say that I am? You are, you are the Messiah. He says um, when they're, uh, Jesus is talking about the way things are going to end, that they're going to take him and persecute him and be hunting for him. He says that's never going to happen. That is never going to happen. And, of course, it did happen. And when Peter said that, do you remember what Jesus said to him? Get behind me, Satan. In other words, I'm the Lord of the universe, and I know. And anything less than that is not of me. And if you're not speaking me, you're speaking someone else. So in his own power, I'm not sure exactly what that means, but I do know in comparison to Jesus, uh, Satan is just a blip on the screen. We've left all to follow you, even if everybody else falls away, I will not. You see all those declarations or exclamations, perhaps you want to say? Even there's no punctuation like this in the Greek. <laughs> or the Hebrew, but we can put an exclamation mark on, on the end of a lot of Peter's sentences. In fact, the scripture um, uh, references often do. The last exclamation he makes as Jesus is asking him, you know, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Lord, you know I love you! He um, witnesses the raising of Jairus' daughter which is an amazing thing that only John and James were able to see with him as well. Um, there's a child who he's heard is sick, and they go there, and the child is dead, and then the child is raised. That would be a significant thing to change what you think about a human being, wouldn't you? Wouldn't it? I mean, even more than like some of the other stuff, the whole healing of the blind and lame and lepros leprosy. I mean, here's the first view that Peter sees of something that is, overcomes death living hope. Jesus, um, oh, what was I thought was great was he was among the first to believe Mary when she said the tomb was empty and Peter rushed out. The beloved John, however, had to write in his version that he beat him there. <laughs> he was there first. <laughs> he runs to the tomb. He witnesses the resurrected Jesus. Once again, he's seeing resurrection. He runs after Jesus after the second miraculous catch. Do you remember the story? They're very depressed. Jesus is gone. He's made an appearance, but now he's out of sight again. And here they are on the boat, and they're doing what fishermen do, which is fish. And they're not having any luck. And from the shore, Jesus gives them instruction. And then Peter recognizes him. He whips off his clothes and runs to Jesus, the first one to do so. He's also... Um, let me go, go through some of his life. He's also restored to Jesus after he, after he denies him. Three times Peter denies Christ after the Passover when, when Jesus is talking to everyone and says, someone's going to uh, betray me. And Peter's the first one to say, who's going to do that? At that time, Jesus is talking about Judas. And um, he tells Peter, but you, Mr. Excited, I'm there for you. It's never going to happen. I would never leave you or betray you. Betrays him three times before the cock crows, just as Jesus had suggested would happen. And he's beaten down by his own self-loathing, and Jesus restores him. This is a man who's seen a lot, who's learned a lot, who's experienced a lot, and who is loved a lot. 
And he's the guy talking to us. He's not just some scholar somewhere. He's the broken man restored to health. He is the guy for whom Jesus died. And he, G, Peter, after all of his um, emotional responses and weak need responses, is still the one. Jesus says, you are Peter. On, my, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. You are someone I've chosen to be primary to the church on earth when I'm out. And that's what we're going to see here in the book of Acts. Several times in the book of Acts, as we wait for um, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, to come down upon the believers, Peter's got a lot of people gathered. Like, you know, Jesus is resurrected, and that's a big deal, but what do we do now? And people are gathering and, and in community and praying and trying to figure it out, and then the Holy Spirit comes down upon the crowd, and Peter is testifying to the Spirit of Christ that is now present. He preaches and he leads, and even more than that, he heals miraculously. There are two healings that Peter is um, given credit for in the book of Acts. And each time Peter heals someone, he gives credit back to Jesus. He gives credit back to God. It's not me, it's Jesus. But he, Jesus has in, in, um, infused him with his healing Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts chapter 4, we see that in the time that all of this um, new thinking was happening, it was a threat to the government. And Peter's jailed. And you'll remember the Bible story when Peter's jailed and then the angel comes. The angel comes at night and opens the jailer's doors. And he goes out and preaches all the more. He lays hands and gives people the Holy Spirit. We see Peter being very pastoral there. And then some guy comes up and says, hey, how can I get some of that mojo? Where do I get some of that Jesus juice, that Holy Spirit stuff? I got money. What do I need to give you? And then he rebukes that man and says the Holy Spirit isn't for sale. He preaches in many Samaritan villages. You remember the, the story of the Samaritan woman at the well when Jesus encounters the Samaritan woman and there's all kind of shock and horror because not only is she a woman, but she's probably not a great woman and she's a Samaritan and they're like, we don't do Samaritans. And Peter was among those people going, no, don't be going there. And here he is walking through Samaritan villages and preaching Jesus. And he had this vision from the Holy Spirit of animals coming down and resting and he, he's confused by it. And they're clean animals and unclean animals, according to Jewish law. And he becomes to understand that Jesus is telling him, clean and unclean are for me to decide. And he begins to say to others, I will also preach this hope to the Gentiles, to the non-clean, that we would always have seen them as unclean. And by doing that from a pastoral sense, he motivates and um, perpetrates the message to the Gentiles of which I'm one. And I don't know how many transmissions you can count in 2,000 years, but I still got the message because it was written for me. Because Jesus told Peter and Peter told us. Peter, Peter declares publicly that he'll be the apostle to the Gentiles. Um, if you points up if you're looking for it. Peter accepts and baptizes Gentile believers. Peter is arrested and imprisoned. He's released miraculously by angels. 
and he declares publicly that he will be the apostle to the Gentiles. Now, Peter, the rest of Peter's story is not in the scripture. We don't know how he died, but we do know that he died. And he died in around 67 AD, which is about the same time as Paul died. Paul wrote so many of the New Testament letters. So Peter's uh, death by crucifixion is one thing that scholars agree on. This is extra biblical. Um, there, is, there is tradition or lore that he was crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified in the manner of Christ. Again, not biblical, but more um, traditional. Book of the writer, ancient writer Eusebius, who is um, a historian, has information about this at the same time. There were many disciples that died a martyr, many, most. And Peter, Peter was one of those. So while you listened to each other's stories and heard something that someone experienced and saw their joy and excitement, it, it's memorable to you, right? There's a, a, a nerve that runs from a part of your brain to your stomach. It's called the vagus nerve. And it's the nerve that controls whether a memory is held emotionally or not. When somebody says, oh, my, I'm so nervous, my stomach's upset, that's that. Or, oh, I got all choked up, that's that. Or I have a lump in my throat, that's that. That's the emotional response that tells your brain, remember that. That's what we have when we have a significant um, experience ourselves. We remember things emotionally. They know this in schools, too. You try to make an emotional response to something. I'm trying to get you to be emotionally responsive. <laughs> one, one way or the other. Peter had a lot of emotional responses. And he has a lot of memories. And you can see two pages worth. And this is just the stuff that had his name on it. Not the rest of the stuff that said all the disciples, or the 12, or the apostles. This is the stuff that was specifically about him. You can imagine how personal his faith was. And we are so blessed to have a personal faith written down in this book. So your homework for this week is to um, read 1 Peter twice, at least. It's not very long. Your um, Bible study writer, Jen Wilkin, will tell you to do this every week. And I didn't think I would want to. But I have to tell you that the more I read about Peter, the more I wanted to know about Peter. That's what sent me back into it. Now, tell me about this guy, even though I have those VBS understandings of him. I wanted to know where, what is the source of his passion? And I found it. And when you hear him speak to you, I don't want you to see him like wagging his finger at you. I want you to see him as a loving pastoral father who's told by Jesus, what? Feed my sheep, take care of my lambs, feed my sheep. He's the shepherd. He's the shepherd that God put in place to start to keep the church moving along in an orderly fashion. And he's telling us what we need to do to be the family of God. If you're a parent, you know this is. You know how this is. A parent just doesn't get to have all the fun. They have to set all the boundaries. But those boundaries are for the good of the, of the children and they're for the good of our flock. And so as you read his letter and you see some things in there that you don't quite get or want to take issue with, remember that he loves you. Peek over to Second Peter and see how often he says, my dear friends, my dear friends, my dear friends. Now, having a second version of this is very helpful. 
and I'm going to tell you why. Um, you have the first version in the back of your book. It's all right there, which is going to be very handy for your study. It's all written out, and it's the ESV version, English Standard Version. And the author will tell you, as you read the introduction next week, as well for homework, how you can interact with the text. She suggests that you get colored pencils, and I do too. She suggests that you write all over it, and she suggests that you make com um, comparisons with other um, versions. I have an old NIV version. It's not even in print anymore. It's 1984 NIV, and some of it's really had a hard time, but I love this version. The new NIV is also online at Bible Gateway. Maybe you have another one here at your home, or you can borrow one, uh, another version from here at the uh, church. At the very end of this letter that is written in the back of your book, there's another name mentioned. See if you can find it. the very end. Raise your hand if you see. I'll tell you the page number. Okay. Final greetings, page 139. What name do you see there? Say it out loud. Do you know that person? Have you ever heard of Silas? Same person. In the ESV and some of the other versions, I, I was wondering who is Sylvanus, so I went to Google. <laughs> and then I went to the Bible. Because Google told me that's the same guy as Silas. In my NIV version, he's Silas. I've heard a lot about Silas from Paul. But I, I didn't know who Sylvanus was. So um, part of your homework assignment on the back of your sheet is tell me everything you might know about Silas or Sylvanus or anything that there can be known. Where do you see him elsewhere? If you have a Bible dictionary, you can look up his name. If you have uh, BibleGateway.com and put his name in the, in the line, you'll, you'll see some verses re regarding who he is. He's one of the transmitters. You know, Jesus often sent us out in twos and said, do this thing together. I utilize that wisdom almost all the time in leadership. I think it's um, so clear that from Noah to the sending out of the 72, that going in twos was the pattern. And, and we see right here, Peter's going in twos as well. He's with Sylvanus, my faithful brother. Yes? Yeah, there, see, it's irritating you that I didn't get the blanks. And I don't even have them numbered, so it's going to be even hard for me to refer to them. Okay, what's the question? Um, I'm sorry, I can't hear you very well. I'm going to move a little closer. For the record, I'm deaf in this ear, so I'm going to move over to this side. Now tell me again. Okay. Find rooms for... On the first page, mm -hmm. after you say, by Jesus, statement of witness is raising. Oh, okay, it's on my second page, that's why I don't have it. Finds room for Passover, for the Passover, according to Jesus' prediction. Yes, yes, yes. That, that was the point at which um, Jesus tells Peter and a couple others, go ahead, you're going to see a guy with a room, and he's got it ready for you. So, that I mean, even that, like, there weren't cell phones, so how'd that happen? 
Okay, how about if I just read through them after that? Because I was yapping. Okay, Jesus predicts, or he tells, oh, he tells him, that's two, two words there. He tells him, you'll be sifted and return. He tells him in that piece of scripture that, I hate to say it, he said, Satan asked me to sift you like wheat. This is, this is just before Peter denies him. And I think if Peter heard that, he'd go, no way. I'm going to come out of that unscathed. But Peter, Jesus tells Peter that he, that he has been asked by Satan to sift him like wheat. And Peter's, but Jesus says, but when you return, there's going to be a lot more for you. He has direct questions from Jesus regarding loyalty and theology. Will you stay awake with me? Who do you say that I am? Do you love me? You can see the theology in there. Do you know who I am? Like, are you getting the God thing about now? I had those, you know, miracles and raising from the dead and healing people. You got it now? Who do you say that I am? And at the end when he says, won't you stay awake with me? Don't you know who I am? Peter doesn't doesn't know he is like how do you miss that I wonder how long he waited for me to say won't you stay awake with me and pray won't you get out of bed this morning and pray won't you stop all that busyness and pray Peter is the one who's given credit for cutting off the high priest's ear in a, as the um, at the end of when they're about to arrest Peter the um, guards come out and Three of the Gospels don't give you the name, but one does. John names him. Peter's the guy who did that. Cut off the, cut off the high priest's ear. The servant's the so, ear. Servant's servant ear. Of servant of high priest. Thank you, Pat. Servant of the high priest's ear. And then what does Jesus do? He heals him right on the spot. Yet again, another time that we are seeing that Jesus um, performed the miraculous right in front of him. I think I told you the rest of those, didn't I? No, the next one. The next, next one. <laughs> Oh my gosh, he denies Jesus. He's among the first to believe Mary about the empty tomb. He's a witness to the resurrected Jesus. He's one of the first witnesses in Jesus in bodily form. He runs to Jesus after the second miraculous catch and is restored to Jesus and told to feed and care for his sheep, meaning his sheep, meaning Jesus' sheep. How are your blanks? Are they good? Stands up among the believers in Jerusalem and preaches. Oh, I've got my paper right here. Heals miraculously. Is jailed. Lays hands on to give the Holy Spirit. Rebukes the sale of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. The sale. That's when somebody said, give me some of this power. Oh, I, want, I want some of the power. How do, you, how do I buy from you? He's a magician. He wanted some of the power. Mm-hmm. And the one below that declares? Publicly that he will also be the apostles to the Gentiles. Okay. 
Okay, so your homework is below there. Read pages 1 to 12 in your book or close to that, whatever, however your book is labeled. That introduction pages, as Tammy mentioned to us, they're in green. I really want you to hear from the, the author of the studies heart, too. She makes a good point in saying, I don't want you using a lot of other resources other than scripture because I'm already another resource. So stick with as much scripture as you can, and, she, and I want you to hear her heart about that. Um, the next question should be, um, what are three things the author of this study wants to impress upon you? And I, would, I should think you would find at least three. It says why, but the word is what. What effect does knowing the author of the book of 1 Peter have on your reading of it? The author of the book 1 Peter is not Jen Wilkin, it's Peter. <laughs> what do you want to know about Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit through this study? Okay. So um, when I ask you below who is the courier of this letter, that's Sylvanus. Or Silas, what can you find out about him? Note any portions or instructions or verses that are challenging and inspiring. Or inspiring. There will be there will be verses that are challenging, and not just challenging of out of content. To be perfectly honest, I tried to diagram some of Peter's sentences. They are run-ons. <laughs> but they're run-ons from this guy. Yes! Oh, let me tell you this. Oh, and that other thing, this thing, this is, oh, oh. That's who's talking to you. And he runs all over the place. If you need a mixed, missed lecture, um, the web page is there. And I hope that next week when you get together in your small groups, you'll maybe you'll even know a few stories since you just shared one of your being groups together. But you'll begin to tell your story. And the greatest scripture in my heart in 1 Peter is, always be ready to give a reason for the hope you have in Christ Jesus. And when somebody says, give me a reason, they're asking, why? You. Why? That's your story. Your story isn't about Peter's story. And it isn't about anyone else's story in the room. It's about your story. Your hope in Jesus Christ is the, is the story we want to be ready to tell. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Peter, for writing it down, for loving Jesus like you did, for showing us that even in imperfect love, there is no fear because Jesus has perfect love which covers our imperfections. Thank you for your sacrifice on my behalf and on the behalf of anyone in this room for the past 200 generations that has gotten to know you through your great story of hope. Help us tell that story of hope this semester as we study together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Cheryl. Mm -hmm.